Good morning. Would you uh, bow your heads with me and uh, open your hearts as we just continue our process of uh, listening for and being in the presence of our God? Our holy God, uh, we're going to... um, be still before you this morning. We're going to uh, take on a posture of listening before you, of being receptive to what you might want to say. And in order for us to do that, dear God, we recognize that there are distractions both within and without, and there is resistance that we have to doing that. So Lord, for just this moment, would you allow Uh, through a special grace of your Spirit, that our distractions and resistance would be set aside just for a time so that we might listen to you. And we'll let that be a continuation of our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So far in our uh, series that we're currently working on called Holy Surrendered, Uh, we have encountered a couple of key concepts. I just want to quickly review those. First of all, uh, the first key concept that we looked at a couple of weeks ago is this idea that we are all addicts, right? Everybody is an addict. Uh, Remember Dr. May's quote where he says, to be alive is to be addicted, and to be addicted is to stand in need of grace. So it's good news that we're all addicts. We all are addicts, and we all stand in need of grace, the grace that Jesus came to supply in abundance. And when we talk about understanding that we are all addicts, uh, what we're saying is not something along the lines of conceptually agree with the words, or I understand the concept, or I comprehend uh, the position that you're taking. It isn't simply an intellectual assent that we're talking about, but we're talking about developing the capacity to actually see our own addictions, the capacity to see and to name and to recognize and to uh, recognize the impact of our own addictions. And if we don't get to that space, then we become like the man Jesus says uh, has a log sticking out of his eye, walking around trying to deal with the specks in the eyes of others. We are uh, foolishly self-deceived And we are not in a position to be merciful uh, towards anybody else. And so we are all addicts. The second concept that we looked at uh, just last week is this concept of a false self. The concept of a false self uh, tells us that there is a part of who we are, a false self, that is primarily self-protected and self-interested. Right, the false self is self-protective. It's it's uh, it's uh, self-interested. Uh, it wants to be in control of the things that uh, it does. It wants to control its environment. And I floated the idea uh, that even Jesus has a false self. Right, even Jesus has a false self. Uh, the false self isn't the bad self. It isn't necessarily the sinful self per se. 
But Jesus even has a false self. And it's, and, and, it, and it's a given expression in places where Jesus says things like, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be crucified. I, I want this cup to be taken from me. If it's possible, I want to avoid the pain and the suffering that's in front of me. That's the, that's the, that's the, 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 the deep expression of the desire of the false self. The, 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 the self that is other than the truest self that Jesus was uh, intended to uh, represent. And so, and so Jesus even gives voice to this idea of a false self. It's the false self that is uh, defined by what it wants to avoid and by what it wants. The false self uh, is constantly in the push and the pull of seeking pleasure, maximizing pleasure, and avoiding pain or avoiding distress. That's what the self, false self does, and therefore the false self is the addicted self. It's the addicted self that is constantly seeking to maximize pleasure, to maximize pleasure in the moment, and to minimize distress. That's the false self. And so Jesus says, Jesus says what? If you are going to come after me, you have to die to yourself. And Paul says that the self has to be crucified with Christ. The flesh has to be crucified with Christ. The, the self that has to die, the flesh that has to be crucified, the part that says, I don't want to do that, is the false self that has to go. It's the false self that is incapable of relationship with God. It's incapable of obedience with God. It's incapable of bringing glory to God the way that our true self is designed to do. But getting rid of the false self is something that we're powerless to do. We're powerless to do it. And so the first step last week that we said was we recognize our powerlessness to manage the false self. The false self always finds a way. And we're powerless against it. And in fact, it feeds on any attempt to master it. So this week we have a couple of more concepts and a new step to take. And uh, I want to look at two texts that will help us to do that. The first text is found in Luke 10. And uh, we've already sung these words. Luke 10, beginning at verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Turn to somebody and say this. Do this, and you will live. Go ahead. Say that out loud. I want you, I want you to say it. Do this, and you will live. This is good news. And then the second text that I want to look at is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 23, just a very short text again. May the God of peace make you perfect and holy. Say that out loud. God wants me to be perfect and holy. Turn to somebody and say it. God wants you to be perfect and holy. And now the, the word that is used there isn't... Uh, simply describing moral perfection or adherence to some code, but perfect and holy is referring to being complete, 
It's, 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 uh, it's referring to the idea of uh, fulfilling the purpose for which you cre- were created. It's being whole. It's being utterly put together. God wants you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, and God wants you to be whole. May the God of peace, the God of shalom, right, make you whole. That's what God wants for you. And may your spirit, life, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, spirit, life, and body. Spirit, heart, and body. He who called you is trustworthy and will carry it out. Pray for us, my brothers. Greet all of the brothers with a holy kiss. Uh, My orders in the Lord's name are that this letter is to be read to all of the brothers. Uh, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So those are our two texts today. And here's what we want to say. We want to move on to the second step. The second step in our recovery from addiction, after we recognize that we are powerless to deal with the addicted false self, is that uh, we take the step of recognizing, we come to believe, we come to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. We come to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And the way that we do that, the way that we come to believe that, the way that we take that step is that we become willing to desire God. We become willing to desire God. And this morning, that's, that's the whole thing that I want us to hold on to. This idea of we become willing. We become willing. There, there, are, there are two, we're, we're parsing two steps here. It isn't just that we make a, a, a sort of a rash commitment that overextends our ability to do it. But uh, prior to making a commitment, we become willing to make that commitment. We become willing to desire God. And that's the way that we do relationships all the time, isn't it? Right? Um, I think back to when I first met Tammy. Right? And she is in the room. Uh, I first met Tammy, right? And so I would go up to her, right? I would go up to her. And for the first uh, few weeks that I was in pursuit, she would see me coming and kind of, you know, go around the back of the building or (laughs) cross the street or something like that. I was a wreck and she saw me coming, right? And, And then I would say to her, would you, would you ever think about going out sometime? Right? She hasn't made a commitment to me. She hasn't made a commitment to a first date. But would you, ever be, would you be willing to go out? Right? The first step in a relationship is, are you willing to go out? Are you, is that in the realm of possibility here? Right? And she didn't, for, uh, thankfully, keep me hanging too long. And she said, yes, I'm willing to do that. <coughs> and then, a little bit later on in the relationship, uh, I think actually it was about three months later, I decided that I wanted to be married to her, right? I, when I see quality, I go for it, right? And so, <coughs> yeah, you're laughing, but it was about three months, right? Three months, and we were engaged, right? And, and, and you don't go from, would you be willing to go out with me, right? Are you willing to go out with me, to, will you spend the rest of your life with me, right? There's an engagement period, right? And an engagement is basically saying, I'm willing to be married to you. I'm willing to be uh, in a process of preparing to make this commitment to you. 
And then when you actually get to the wedding ceremony, we do it there also, right? There, there are two parts. The first thing that you say is, right, I do, right? Somebody, somebody stands in front of you and says, do you uh, take this person? Are you willing to be taken by this person, right? Are you, are you willing to enter into this covenant relationship? And, and you say, I do, I will, I'm willing. And then only after expressing that willingness to commit, that willingness to desire, do you stand in front of each other and make your vows of commitment. And so there's these two steps. We become willing, and then we commit. We become willing, and then we believe. And the question this morning is, why is it important to become willing? What is your state of willingness to believe? What is your state of willingness to desire? Here's why it's important. It's our next key concept. Because we are defined by what we desire. We're defined by what we desire. You are becoming what you desire. You're becoming what you long for. One Christian philosopher puts it this way, you are what you love. You are what you love. This is exactly what our texts are telling us today, right? This is exactly what we find here in our text, right? If you think about it, you are created to look like God. You're created to be God's reflection. The language of Genesis is that you are created to be God's image. You're made to look like God in this world, to image God. And what we find is that the very best way for us to image God is to love God. We become more and more the image of God when we love God more, when we love God best. So is it any surprise that we find here that, that we are most alive, right? When, when are we most alive? In, in, in the, the text in John 10, this is a question that Jesus is answering, right? The religious leader comes up to him and says, how do I find life? How do I find this eternal life? And eternal life isn't just a, a duration, but it's a quality of life. How do I find the best life, the truest life, the lasting life, the real life, the real deal? How do I find that, Jesus? And Jesus' answer is that you do that by loving God. Right? You, 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 you come into your life, you come into your best life by loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, with all of who you are. And, and, and then, when are we most alive? When are, we, when are we most whole? When are we most well? That's the prayer of Paul in 1 Thessalonians, right? That, that we want you to be whole. We want you to be complete. We want you to be well. When are you well? When you are loving God, when you are present with God, loving and desiring God above all else then you're becoming who God intended you to be. Your true self. You're becoming what you love. You're becoming what you desire. And it's not just in these two texts that we looked at, but this is also the way that Jesus thinks about what it means to follow after him. So in, in John 1, we looked at uh, John 1 a few minutes ago in our uh, um, uh, call to uh, confession. Uh, but in John 1, there's a story about a couple of disciples, a couple of guys who are following after John the Baptist, right? Do you remember the scene? They're with John the Baptist, and John sees Jesus and points at Jesus and says, there's the dude, that's the guy I've been telling you about. And these disciples of John immediately say, we're going to follow him then, right? If this is what we're waiting, and so they start following after Jesus. And Jesus all of a sudden turns around and says, what do you want? Right, that's the question of discipleship. That's the question of following Jesus. What do you want? What do you desire? What do you long for? 
And then if you go to the very end of John's gospel, Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Do you love me? See, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, uh, what do you know? He doesn't say, what do you believe? He doesn't say, what do you think is right? He says, do you love me? If you're going to follow me, see, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to learn from me, if you're going to, if you're going to find healing here in this place, but the question is, are you, are you willing to desire? Are you willing to desire me? Are you willing to long for me? Are you willing to become the thing that you love? Are you willing to desire me above all else? Are you willing to desire Jesus above all else? Let me, let me just be very, very honest here for a moment. I'm not sure today that that's true of me. I'm not sure if that's true for most of us. I th- As we sit here today, isn't it possible that we, that we want to look like we desire Jesus, that we say we desire Jesus above all others, Maybe we even tell ourselves that we, that we desire Jesus above all, above, above all else. But, 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 that old, that old false self keeps showing up. That old false self keeps, keeps showing up and, and there are other things that I desire more and there are other people that I love better than I love Jesus. There are other things that I want. And so part of our recovery from our sin addiction is to come to the place that we're willing to desire Jesus above all all else. That we're willing to believe that, that somehow Jesus is our desire's true home to come to the place where we love him most. And when we take on the process of developing that desire, that willingness it's going to come right up against our addictions. It will come right up against our addictions because our addictions use up our desire. Right? This is how addiction works. It, it's like a, addiction is like a sponge, and it just soaks up all of our desire until uh, the, sort, the place of our desire is just bone dry. Addictions use up our desire. They take the desire, the God-given desire that we have that was intended to desire God and in desiring God to find life and to find freedom and to find the wholeness that we talked about. And they turn that desire elsewhere. And that desire uh, is attached someplace that not only can't deliver life and can't deliver freedom, but only always ultimately brings captivity and brokenness. Right. So a heroin addict finds that her life is consumed by the desire for heroin. And an alcoholic finds that his life is consumed by a desire for alcohol. The whole, your whole life is just arranged by, how do I get a hold of my next drink? Where are the places that I need to have a stash? Where are the, how do I organize my, my transportation? and my, how, do I, how do I organize my whole life around this desire for a drink? 
an approval addict or a, a drama addict or a perfection addict will find that their lives are consumed by those things. And the, the insanity of addiction is that the thing that we have attached our desire to, there's never enough of it. There's never enough of it. And it never delivers what it promises. And yet we, 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 we pursue it at the expense of the thing that could actually satisfy. An active addiction, an addict will give up everything for the high. An addict will give up everything. Parents, children, job, reputation, health, life itself. Right? Addiction uses up. It consumes our desire so that there isn't anything left over to desire God. So the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to, to confront that impasse? Are you willing to desire God? Maybe not today, but you're open to it. Maybe you're not ready to be engaged, but you're open to having a date. Are you willing to desire? Are you willing to desire God and to believe that, that desiring God is your heart's true home, right? Do this and you will live. Are you willing to believe that when your desire finds its true home, that your life will be restored to sanity again? My prayer for you is that you are whole, that God will make you whole and perfect in every way, that you'll be restored to sanity, willing to believe. If you're willing to believe, I want to take three minutes, five minutes, okay, seven minutes, and give you a a quick process for how that works itself out. The process of becoming willing to believe is a process of becoming more and more present to God. Becoming more and more present to God. Both in the Luke text uh, where Jesus is speaking and in Paul's text where Paul is praying, uh, there's a sense that there's, there's a holistic presence, right? That, 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 that we're being called to be before God with our minds, with our bodies, and with our, and with our souls, with our spirits. Our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. Let's think about all three of those things. To be present with God in all three of those ways. Richard Rohr uh, talks about uh, the idea that there are head churches that uh, don't much bother with the heart, there are heart churches that don't have much use for the head. And there are almost no churches that have much to say about the body. I'll let you decide which church you're in here. <laughs> and yet here we have Jesus and Paul and going all the way back into the law of Moses longing to put all of those pieces back together again so that we're not just loving God with our head. We're not just loving God with our heart. We're not just loving God with our body. But that, that all of those are sort of reconnected, reintegrated. Right? You can think about addiction as a disease that disintegrates. 
And so reintegrating our heart and our head and our body in a way that allows us to be present before God nurtures our willingness to desire him. So the biblical way of loving God with your mind, with your head. the, The biblical way of loving God with your mind is not primarily through study. It's not primarily through memorization of verses. Only. The the biblical way of loving God with our mind is to engage in a practice of prayer and meditation. The, the, The Bible calls us to be people who meditate on God. And when we assume a posture of meditating, our meditation isn't about us being in control as the scholar who is dissecting things about God, but it allows us to become the object of God's attention. And as God speaks and as God reveals and as God is present with us, the, 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 the work of meditation is to absorb God's presence and to listen to what God is saying. The way that the Paul, Pauline literature talks about that is that our minds are renewed. Our mind is renewed. Loving God with our heart will include a lot of things. It will include things like allowing God to heal the hurts and the wounds of the past. Right? Uh, to heal the hurts and the wounds of the past. It's the hurts and the wounds of the past that have misdirected and misshapen my desires in the first place. And so, allowing God to heal those wounds, to heal those desires, as I'm present with God, uh, with my emotions, the gift of tears, the gift of weeping, the gift of laughter and joy are all part of being present with God with my heart. Being present with God with my heart is also going to include being in right relationships with people. Right? The, the horizontal and the vertical are never disconnected in the scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, soul, and love your neighbor. Right? It's, it's, it's as if loving my neighbor and loving God in that way are, are intimately connected. I, I'm, I'm called to love uh, my neighbor in a way that enacts my ability and desire to love God. And... Loving God with my heart, I have come to believe, will require that our heart is broken. The heart, the prideful heart, the in control heart, the defended heart, before it can be open to God, will be broken. Right, we talked about. Jesus asking Peter, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Peter cannot engage that question, do you love me, until after he's denied Jesus, after he has wept bitterly, after he has grieved and dealt with his own utter failure. Then, when your heart is broken, Peter, do you love me? We want to read, boy, 
We resist that brokenness. We organize our lives and our conversations and our relationships so that brokenness is never exposed. Love God with your heart. And finally, being present with God with our body. We're present with God with our body uh, when we care for our bodies. When, 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 when we have practices of, of good rest and good recreation, recreating ourselves. Diet and exercise and healthy sexuality. Think about the ways that we, that we touch and care for others. So many times when I uh, do a hospital visit with somebody, uh, there are no words but simply holding a hand. And holding a hand communicates everything. Think about the ways that our bodies communicate our presence with another person. Think about how often Jesus heals with a touch. Jesus places his hands and blesses. Jesus reaches out his hand and breaks the bread. We have a physical Jesus, a body Jesus. And loving God with our bodies is also going to be, um, is also going to include recognizing the ways that the hurts and the wounds of the past, uh, which have misshapen and misdirected our desires, that those hurts and wounds, that those traumas often live in our bodies. Uh, there's a title of a recent book called The Body Keeps Score. Our, the wounds stay with us in our muscle memories and in our, in our brain cells. And loving God with our bodies means recognizing the ways that our bodies need to be healed. Are you willing to desire God? Are you willing to love God more than anything? And in loving Jesus to become what you love. We become willing to desire God. We become willing to believe that God can restore us to sanity as we are present with him. So we're present with him. And we are present with him as we reconnect our mind and our heart and our body. I commend to you uh, this week the step work that you find uh, in your worship folder. Take it on. Press into it. Become willing to desire him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do uh, thank you for the gift of your love towards us. We thank you for the ways that you have brought healing and hope. Thank you for the possibility that we too can step into a degree of wholeness that up until now has only been um, a vague dream or a fuzzy picture. Lord, uh, speak to our heart's desire today. Interrupt those places that soak up our desire so completely. 
and help us to turn some of that desire back to our heart's true home in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.